everyone. Welcome to The Point here with me, the host, Jeff Spikes. It's great to be here. I did a live Facebook video a little bit ago that was such a blast. We had so much fun doing it. Um, I, I just, I got into a topic where I, I took a top level training that I do when I'm working in companies and I'm working, we always start and go top down when we're doing strengths and anything that we want to roll through the company, we want, we want the leaders to be really good at and understand what it is that we're rolling through the company so that there's, well, there's a lot of reasons. <clears throat> so I stop, and when I start top down, one of the things that we do is we, we spend some time talking about how can you be most supportive and most effective as a leader in connecting with your staff as they learn this if they want to talk about it. It's fairly simple. Um, it's good to have notes. And I've thought about making little, little cheat sheets for people so that they can use that, but are they really going to carry that around? No. Not typically. Um, so the bottom line is I just share it with them and I try and get it stuck through experience. I try and get them really thinking about, oh, that's what we do based on experience. And the bottom line is pretty simple, just like everything else. And all we got to do in, in this case where you're following a model like Clifton Strengths that has over 50 years of science behind it and it's just a really, and it's a really robust system is help someone do what they can that's already provided for them and make sure they are doing that before you decide to have a sit-down conversation with them, right? So if you're a family, if, you're, if you want to do it with your family, you've done it at work or you've gotten it from me and you want to do it with someone else, you can literally go in and buy an assessment in your profile so that you can see their results. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine, but it's kind of exciting that you can do this and then see their results and then talk them through the basics just based on what you can do by reading the report, answering their questions on the report, and watching a couple of videos that are provided. And it was fun. Because what blows me away, I'm talking to people now, I'm kind of shifting into a gear of talking about confidence. What's happening now is that we're, we're in a time when we're all just reading the top line of emails and we're reading the top few things and deciding if we should read the rest of it. So we're getting an assessment and we're just getting the assessment and checking it out and doing what we need to. And, following the instructions, whoever had us take it to do what we need to do. And join a class or listen to what they're saying or do the seminar. And we're not reading into it. A few are, and that'll speak, you can see who is based on their strengths. But we just go in there and we start, if we start going in there and reading the instructions and really answering the questions the way they're being asked by the experts, as coaches we can be really effective and as leaders we can be really effective and as, as, if we're doing that for our family, we can be really effective. So I had a blast talking about that. But more fun is I was announcing this podcast and I was announcing the, um, that, I'm, that I'm talking about this and I'm also going to do a live video on it. And it's this idea about catastrophic events that happen and how that's where most change happens. So I heard what made me think of this is I, I, w I was listening to um, I was listening to a YouTube video. And somebody said, um, it wasn't Tony Robbins. Um, somebody said that they had gone through a major catastrophic event and, and it was um, a life-threatening situation. And they got really serious about metaphysics. 
So they went through this major shift in energy and focus in life as a doctor. Joe Dispenza said that because of this incident. And then the statement was made that most change happens after catastrophic events. So something happens that's not that great. Something happens that's bad. And we change. Here's the danger of that. If that is our motivation, so there is this away from motivation. There's really understanding what we don't want. And marketing, marketing uses this all the time. Marketing 101 says, find out people's pains and what they don't want and speak to that, and they'll be interested. So they're like, yeah, I don't want that because that ensues a passion. Speak to what they do want. It's not as, it's, it's not as good because we all are like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. But we don't have it. And if we don't have it, we don't know it. And we, but we say, oh, yeah, I know that, and that's what I want. But what if we could just get it? What if we could just be in the space that we want to be in? What if we could just be in whatever space we choose based on what we want? Well, developing that toward motivation, there's, there's many methods and ways to get there. And, you know, I, I, I spent... I spent a good amount of money to become part of Upgrade and go through the trainings at Upgrade because Upgrade, they teach really specific ways of, re, of reworking some of our patterns and our, and our thoughts so that we're, it's, it's just rewiring. I think entirely differently after doing that. And I've gone through a handful of those trainings over the time. I had done NLP in the 80s, much different than it is to, than most of what I've seen it is today. I had done a lot of other types of trainings I had stayed away from other trainings, but my point is we know so much more about the inner workings of the mind. And I don't know if you like football or not, but if you don't like football because of the sport or the athleticism or the athletes or the tenacity it takes to become a, an, a pro, an NFL player, or any of that stuff. You just you're just not into it. You will love what's happened in the brain to, in, based on studying things in the brain because of TBIs, right? So because there's been so many advancements, my daughter started having seizures when she was 16, and nobody knew what was up. And we were ADD, ADHD, and all these different diagnoses. Is when she's 23 years old, she, we find a psychologist that's going to help her. And in 10 years since we had had her tested originally. Maybe she was 26. In 10 years, oh no, we had had her tested earlier because of um, the ADHD. It, it was 10 years. She was 23, I think, 23 or 24. And with all the advancements made by doctors and scientists studying professional sports, highly funded by the NFL, um, they had all these answers that they never had before. And it opened her life up to understanding different ways of reworking neural pathways, right? belief systems and ways of thinking and operating, not just belief systems and ways of thinking, but in how we operate, the operating system of what happens in the brain and the neural pathway that helps us learn something new, think about it, and then execute it with our body, with a body movement. Um, all of those things and the advancements that have been made are absolutely phenomenal. Um, so anyway, that's just part of it, right? And then all the advancements other people have made in really understanding that we're measuring the brain activity that's happening while people are going into this grateful state and the thought processes and breathing patterns that create healing. 
in our bodies. And since we know that all of our organs have the natural ability to heal themselves, to regenerate themselves and heal, we know our body's capable of healing itself. They're beginning to be able to measure what's happening in the brain when it's happening in the body, when the healing is happening in the body. And they're almost showing what's happening in the brain when an instantaneous healing happens. And so the behaviors that it takes to get up to that happening in the brain are being studied and we're making, there's just amazing things happening, right? So I, 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 get, I get excited about all of this. So more so than ever, more so than ever, we don't have to wait for something to get worse before we change it. It's never been true. It's just what happens because most of us are not being intentional and taking life that seriously, being someone that's been that way myself, I'm gonna say, I think it's laziness. I think it's, and I don't think it's judgmentally bad lazy. I'm not gonna go there. I might on a different day, I'm not today, <laughs> right? I'm, I, and maybe it's not knowing better, maybe it's not having a belief in myself, of, you know, if you don't feel very good about yourself, when I, when I don't feel good about myself, I don't have the resources. I don't have the emotional resources. I'm not resourceful enough to have, to feel and have a sense of motivation to do something different. And, it, and you know, then we get into a lot of these different ways of thinking that we might find in helping ourselves or getting help from different organizations, if it's therapy or treatment or, you know, a mental illness, a psychiatry or psychology or a group, a church group or anything else. And there's going to be a lot of talk about acceptance. And that's good. We need to accept. We need to be accepting. And there's open minds, there's all these things, but it, it does look and feel like something major happens and then we get changed. How many people do you know that have become born again after something really bad happened? Oh, I know I had all those problems, but then I was born again. Now, they, when we reach an end, then something can change. Now, a lot of people have been born again, but that term now means something also very different to certain in certain rooms and certain religions and everything else, it means something very specific that also comes with a dialogue. So the point is we all get to be reborn. Our cells regenerate every so many years anyway. So physically we're changing and we're not the same person we were eight, 10 years ago. And that's one of the reasons that we know that we can change our bodies, right? We can, we can build muscle, lose muscle, lose fat. We can totally shift our metabolisms we don't have to wait. And we think, but it's so hard. And then we say, is it? It's probably, you know, for me, it was only hard when it was hard because I either couldn't find the motivation or it was hard because, man, I, I was trying to do it in one day. <laughs> I was trying to do a six-week boot camp and then I was done. I could have it all right. I never did CrossFit, but I thought about it. I do not like cardio. I do not like cardio. Anyway, I do like running sometimes. I just don't I don't want to do cardio every day. And I have gotten into rhythms where running every day is awesome. I was a Marine, and I got into the rhythm of enjoying that and finding that pace and that place. But running is just not something I really want to do. Um, that being said, 
sometimes walking just isn't fast enough, right? Um, like I don't want to go for a walk because it takes so long. So I think, well, maybe I'll run. <clears throat> we can make excuses. We can think things that get in our way and slow us down. The bottom line is just get out and move. Get out and move till you have enough steps to say that you've moved enough for your nutrition plan, blah, blah, blah. My point being, I would wait and eat more and tell myself I'm enjoying the heck out of the food. And, oh, you know, it's holidays, so it's a cake. And it's like five pounds that week. And then, oh, man, I did that. But I won't do that anymore. And I'll kind of hold it back, hold it back, and then gain another stop, right? But I'd let it get so bad. I'd let it get worse so that it finally motivated me enough. And I'm like, fine, I'm done. And then I do extreme effort and drill it down. The question becomes, how do we sustain? And now I'm sustaining, since I turned 50, a significant weight loss. I had gone up to 230 at one point. Came from 307 pounds down to 207. And I'd creep back up to like 240. I met John Madsen at Superhuman and crushed it down to 173. And then built back up and got in, I'm in that 200 range. But my point being, I'm, it's not ideal yet. It, well, I mean, I don't even know if that's true. I think I am at ideal. I still want more. I still want something different. I want more definition in my arms. I want more on my side. I want, there's things that I want because I finally learned that it's not vain to give myself permission to feel good about my body and to like something and just have fun regardless of what anybody freaking thinks. I'm developing a relationship with what I want instead of what I don't want so that I don't have to wait for a catastrophe to change. Bottom line. And it comes from a lack of deserving. I don't deserve it unless it's catastrophic. It can't happen unless it gets bad enough. I'm not good enough anyway to make the change. It's all a bunch of shit. I don't, I don't curse much here, so I might not be flagged as child-friendly right now anymore, and I do care about that, but come on, really? Really? Like, what would it take for you to believe that you could do anything you want? I, I always believed it and I always pushed for it, but it didn't happen. And I wouldn't give up. And my first coach that had me lose 100 pounds brought me down off the 300. Lori, she, I, she did great for me. But at 207, I was frustrated and I was looking for more. And she told me, maybe you should give up and just live with what you got. Maybe this is good enough for where you're at. And I'm like, no, uh-uh. No, nope. and I thought at the time you're not my, you can't be my coach anymore, and that didn't stay. I, I did never acted on that. I still haven't acted on that. I still, you know, no, I won't disrespect what, will never disrespect the change that she helped helped me make. But you know what happened? She started feeling she started feeling bad for this desire I had that wasn't working that we couldn't break. We couldn't break this two oh seven, and I couldn't figure out why. So. And I met John Madsen, and I had gone the wrong way back up to 240, and we crushed it, right? So now I'm, in the, now I'm living in a range with everything I've learned, and I'm living in this range that's beautiful, right? That doesn't put me in a place where I'm totally disgusted with myself. I'm a little unhappy right now. I look in the mirror, but we've, we learn to be honest with ourselves and think about what we want. 
And I didn't need to go to 220 and 230 to feel like I better hurry up and change something fast. I get to stay in that, you know, where 200 is like my, my average, and I'm playing with that. And I think 200, I don't know what, I, I don't know what my right weight is still. I've been doing it for, with John for, well, I started with John a couple of years ago. And now I'm on a path where I'm really looking for what is the perfect weight. And to know it, I, ha I think I'm, it's probably good for me to crush once a year. So anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now a little bit about some of the change I've been through. But let's get into this a little bit because there's some important pieces here. And I'm, I just I, I did a little bit of research and I, I was trying to remember some names of people that had done some things. And, and Milton Friedman was an economist and a philosopher. And... Milton Friedman said, I'm just going to read it, only a crisis, actual or perceived, okay? Only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. Now, let's think about that. Only a crisis, actual or perceived. There's a lot of crises that have happened, but what if it's just perceived, right? So could so there's a, there's a little bit of a trick there. If it's catastrophic to me like so this is good to do with money right i was i was taught at 20 i don't know how old i was in my early 20s this this, this guy this elder this guy that was older than me that was mentoring me a little bit gave me a hundred dollar bill and he says put this in your pocket and never spend it and i'm like what he says, put this in your pocket and every time i see you i'm gonna ask you for a hundred dollar bill and it doesn't have to be this hundred dollar bill you just always need to have a hundred dollar bill in your pocket I, I, it's a it's a experiment i want you to try it and We'll only learn, you'll only, it'll only help the experiment if you actually really learn it and do it. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And what I learned was that, and, and he says it's only emergencies. You only use it for emergencies. That was the strategy. He goes, if you really need it, you have to really think about it. But as soon as you use it, you have to replace it as soon as possible. So when you break it and you got a bunch of 20s, you have to turn it back into a $100 bill as soon as you can and put it in your pocket. So... I took it seriously and I did it. And I began to learn, right? So this difference of what happens around a feeling of security. And that turned into being able to have $1,000 in the bank because I, I was never able to save. So I could have $1,000 in the bank and then 10, whatever. So that number kept going up. So there's a way to make it catastrophic to have a, a floor of where we're comfortable with a financial amount of money in the bank, whether it's a retirement account or a savings account or some people lose their comfort level at different levels than others. And that, when, when, I, when you hear me talk about boundaries, that's some of the premise around boundaries. That is a boundary. And we like to talk emotionally about boundaries in relationships, and they become manipulations because I tell you I have a boundary that I'm not holding, but I expect it to be held by you way out here. But really, it's back here. It's the only place I'm really holding it. And then I make, it, I make the distance your problem. Not, not, in my book, that's not okay. In my book, that's not okay. I can ask for help with that distance. But that comfort level is my true boundary. It's up to me to change my standards so that I have a different boundary that's naturally held because that's what it is. Not because I'm trying to help have the world around me create change for me. I get to own the change I'm going through. What happens in those environments is I get into enough fights 
I get into enough arguments, I finally get tired of it, and that's the catastrophic thing that, ha that works change. So some of these things that we're saying about it has to get really bad, we have to hit a bottom before it changes, are constructed by how we're thinking of it and how we're helping each other. And the attachments we have to boundaries. I've said in, in places about boundaries, in rooms where people, in, in environments where people are really attached to the idea of boundaries, and I, people get re, have gotten really uncomfortable and angry. And I've learned to be cautious in how I share that because I don't want to trigger anyone. I don't want to push anyone into an edge that they're not comfortable with inappropriately. I only want to help people that want to, be, to become uncomfortable and win. Become uncomfortable and win. If you don't want to be, if you don't want to go through the discomfort it takes to, to, to break something through, and you prefer to wait for it to get bad enough to decide if you're going to change, I, I don't want to interrupt your process because that's really not fair. That's your choice. I believe in the power of choice and the freedom of choice. So I'm not going to try and, you know, I'm just not going to do that. <clears throat> and there's a lot of people that will say I need help. I, I, I had a conversation today with somebody that I know. They always say, man, I really want to change this. I really want to do this. But then their behavior is attached to entirely different outcomes. I talked to two people that way today. And I've learned to love them and, and accept them and breathe into it. I don't have to change. And they don't have to enter my world of trying to be optimal. And that's okay. Right? There's still people in my life that I'm going to love, and I don't want to excommunicate them from my life. I don't like the cancel culture. I do, it, but I, 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 sometimes I wonder if I'm hurting myself in my own environment, and I have to be cautious of that maybe. It's, it's important to protect our environment to, to have what we want, and it's important to get around people that, are, that think the same and that are helping us get where we want to go. Like getting into a room where I'm not the smartest person that's easy to do, but I need to do it more often because I'm a leader, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in a companies where I'm in the high, I'm in the hierarchy. I'm in the authority of the companies, and I'm working in those arenas all the time. So I need to be in rooms like that, and in rooms where there's people even leading more, so that I get uncomfortable with like, wow, I need to stretch myself and do something different and reach towards something more that I want. That's protecting my environment. But it doesn't mean to me that I'm going to not love and communicate and hang out with somebody that I truly do care about. I may have less in common and I'm not going to do it as much. But see, that's the point. The, when the boundary naturally changes within us, this one particular friend of mine, I've known him for a long time, when he and I have talked, that one particular friend of mine that I'll always be friends with, we have way too much history not to be, there is a gap in interest. There's not a gap in how, we, how I feel about him, but I think there's a gap in interest in both of our parts because he doesn't want to hear it all the time from me and there's just not a commonality anymore. There's some just not as much. And there's been times in our life where we were in sync with that, and there's other times we're not. If we don't judge that and we stop worrying about what that means and we just accept it as what it is and continue to love people, we can be okay. <clears throat> we can really be okay. So there's a couple other things that are important. Well, I think it's fun, maybe, um, to talk about this because this is bigger 
than just anything else. You know, the, the, the movement of positive psychology and coaching and everything else, you look at Tony Robbins and uh, Mel Sligman, Rick Warren, the theologian, um, Richard Rohr. Um, <clears throat> Richard Rohr talks a lot about the 12 steps and that considers that a movement. And I think I read something he wrote that says he thinks that the 12 steps um, of anonymous fellowships that were created by Alcoholics Anonymous in the 30s, he said it is the most significant spiritual breakthrough of the century. His words, right? And and he and he talks about how people and he does share that the opinion that people have to reach this horrible bottom with addictive behavior to change. So there we have it. We have to have a catastrophic event. And Brene Brown does a ton of talk about vulnerability. She talks about having courage, and she. I happen to love Brene Brown, man. I think she's she's my homegirl too. But being from Houston, and I I just um, I love her writings, and I and I really dig what she's talking about. I I, I I haven't heard her say anything that I was like, man, I love hearing. I love that's good to hear. And I will turn on some of her her talks just to clear my mind and listen to something positive. But the same thing, she's talking a lot about embracing this and finding the resilience and the relevance of crisis and how that pays into helping us change and grow. So it's not untrue that through tough times we have the opportunity to grow. Right? We have a ceiling and we break through that ceiling and, we, and that takes effort and that can look a lot of different ways. And maybe things come to a head in our emotions and, our, and other things. So I'm not debating that it's not true. What I'm saying is we don't have to wait for it. We can stop and ask ourselves. I think when I first did it, as I said, man, I'm tired. And I went all or nothing one way to the other. I'm tired of only having move away from energy. I'm tired of only knowing what I don't want. I, I'm tired of moving, I'm tired of running from, or, or just, uh, or running through. I'm tired of the energy. And how do I, how do I just start moving towards what I want? And what I initially noticed was that the pain was the same. Because growing through the change of whatever belief system I had to be stuck in that thought process, right? I'm, I'm, my mind is back here in trauma and events and things that were bothersome to me. And to move it over here, right, to, to just transport ourselves into a future state that's not attached and connected to that. At the time, I found that I felt the same pain that I would have walking through this as I was walking to this. I had grief of strategies I was letting go, all these things. And that was, to me, I believe, that was the connections losing themselves. And I started to consider that way of thinking had me believing that I had to look at a problem and point at a problem and talk about a problem to fix it. So if I'm helping others, if I'm talking to others, or if I'm in a company, I'm poking the bear on, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. And we learn, and we, we find, I, I learned 
one of the rewires that happened in some of the training I've been through is that I've learned that we can, we can let go of what we're doing wrong and just pay attention to what we're meant to learn from it. Gather the lesson and carry it forward. Drop the emotion. Replace the emotion I'm carrying forward with that lesson and come over here to the future and focus on what I want. I had a leader in a company I'm working with now say to me, "Do the more we can lead by example, and he's, he's asking for help getting, you know, making sure we all stay on target with this, the more we can lead by example and then ask for and point towards the behavior we're looking for, the less we have to tell people what they're doing wrong and where they're missing it. And we might be able to move into a future state faster and quicker if we just allow what's not happening correctly to disappear. We don't have to point it out and put people through the pain of embarrassment of thinking about it. What if they never have to think about it again because it never happens? What if they're having a challenge with how they treat customers or how they think about customers and how that affects them? Like someone in customer service that doesn't, hasn't learned yet that it's important to smile when they're on the phone because you can feel and hear the smile through the phone, right? <clears throat> if they haven't learned that, why put someone through the embarrassment of having to think about how they're not smiling and look, sounding like a grump? And that old way of thinking, it's really easy to turn into that person that's having to say, but you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it. Let's look at the problem. Performance improvement plans in companies are a lot like that. It's creating a crisis and really grabbing on to the emotion of what you're doing wrong and then giving people a path out. And that usually comes because that person's unwilling to change or they're not getting the leadership they need and they're not having honest conversations. But something's happening that's not allowing them to grow or they're not allowing themselves to grow and they're attached to whatever problem they have that's creating the performance issue. So they, because it can't change naturally, it becomes a performance improvement plan and that becomes the event that helps them either change or get off the bus. But certainly after that, it changes. But performance improvement plans don't have to be catastrophic events. If we do them more naturally and more often, they can be things where we're just pointing out to people, hey, this thing needs to, it's important this changes, otherwise we, we might lose you, and you're too important to, to lose. So in our old way of thinking, you might be offended that I'm writing this down and putting you on a performance improvement plan for one thing or two things. But the truth is these are critical things that I want to make sure never happen again especially if it's an attitude problem where we're talking bad about somebody or it's a cultural thing that we're just not okay with. You know, that sometimes we just need to teach people that isn't okay here. So if we set that because we're naturally holding a boundary, not because we're pissed off now that our real boundary's back here, but it's supposed to be here and all the bull that comes with that. <clears throat> if we just naturally have a, a kind, loving boundary and we can say, hey, that's not okay here, and I, yeah, I'm going to write it down and I'm going to make sure I do this because you're too important. Well, they can get mad or not get mad, but I, I guarantee you they'll understand how important they are in time when they're then rewarded later for being able to listen to the feedback, take it in writing, and make the change and move on. As soon as you reward that behavior... 
everything starts to change, right? Because now we're teaching something different. Now we begin to automate different ways of thinking and we start coming more over to here in the realm of motivating ourselves towards something we want instead of what we don't want. <clears throat> and then we exercise that enough and we no longer need a catastrophe to cause change. Visualization is one of the most important things we can do. Without visualization, it's very difficult to see ourselves in a different light. We do visualizations every morning and every night. <clears throat> it's a form of meditation. It's because we're putting ourselves in an, in an open meditative state where we, we're open to suggestion. And then we're imagining really visualizing on every emotional, mental, colorful, sensory way we can what we want to be, do, and have. I picture myself as the type of leader I want to be. And especially when I feel self-doubt and I start hearing this little voice back here saying, oh, you're just not good enough and there's this art. You're never going to make it. Ah. <laughs> Sometimes I'd like to turn around and karate kick him, like, stop it. But what I do is I go, hey, we're not doing that today. Especially when I start hearing that type of, any type of voice that's negative, <clears throat> we turn right away. I turn right away to some type of visualization. I, I, and the more we practice it, the easier it is con to connect to. And I go, wait, we, we just know that's not true. We, all of my parts and all the people, all the parts of me and all the hats I wear, just know that's not true. What we do know is true is this. And then we visualize it, feel it, sit in the car that I'm going to be sitting in. I'm looking for a new car. I'm dreaming up which car I'm going to be in next, right? So anyway, I'm going to cut it here. I'm, I appreciate everybody. I, I get excited about this stuff because there's enough pain in the world. And we're, we're going to emote no matter what. This isn't about not emoting, but it's when we, when we have the emotion, that emotion is the delivery mechanism. It's teaching us something. If we learn it, we become more effective. If we just learn the lesson, if we learn the information, it might not even be a lesson, it might just be a message that emotion's giving us. And to do that, we have to listen for that innocent, very first gut level response to whatever happened. If we just really pay attention to that and honor it, we don't have to act on it, just honor it. Just pay attention and consider that gold, right? And important and valuable and sacred, whatever words you want to use, and listen to that, we grow closer and closer to this ideal. And realizing that the universe really does conspire in our favor because there's enough pain. And we don't need to wait for it or create it to build it to then get what we want. So really to everybody I love and, and I want to send love and encouragement out to everybody to improve your ability to look in the mirror. Shift your focus to what you want. 
if you can't figure out how, to, if you if you can't connect to what you want, reach out to me. I've got some some tricks I can share with you, and I'll even do an episode on it about how we can start looking at other and we can create some other lists that all of a sudden get us inspired. But it's not that difficult, and no one can motivate you but you. But there are things you can do that you will end up having you feel motivated. Sometimes you just have to get up and do them. So see you next time. Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, because. Oh, yeah, because it happens to be Friday right now. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for another amazing episode of The Point with me, Jeff Spikes. The greatest compliment you could give me is liking, loving, and sharing this episode with all your friends. So please, if you're on Spotify, iHeart, or iTunes, leave a five-star rating and review. If you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. Make sure to tag me. I love hearing from you, the listeners of this show. The links for all my social and iTunes are in the show notes. Also, if you'd like to engage with me in anything related to my coaching, consulting, speaking, or programs, please visit jeffspikes.com for everything you would need to know to engage with me offline. And lastly, thank you for your time, your attention, and your consideration. This is The Point.